All right, well, listen, we want to finish out a series today, which I think is crucial in the way that we live our lives. We've had some events happen in the last uh, few weeks, last few months, that I think just nail this, uh, drive this home. Yes, if you're Kidmo, you guys are released to head to Kidmo. And we've had some events happening around us that kind of drive this, this point home, that we are in a world that is struggling with worship. Worship is absolutely the most crucial aspect to the life of any follower of Jesus. In fact, many of us struggle within life, not because of what scripture teaches, not because of the circumstances we deal with, not because of the life that's been dealt to us. We struggle many times because we have placed our focus in worship on things that are not capable of of sustaining it. So for the last couple of weeks, we have been going through in our primary passage of Scripture. If you've got a Bible, then you can, um, op- you can open that. We're going to be in Psalm today. We're also going to be in Luke today. But uh, Psalm 115 has really been kind of our core passage for the series. If you've got a smartphone, you can follow along on version as well. All our notes are there. Psalm 115 Verses 1 through 8 in the NIV says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. Feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Every possible thing that we could worship falls in that category other than God. But verse 8 says, those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And the reality is, whatever we are worshiping, we are going to begin to mimic We are going to begin to become like that thing. It's why choosing what we worship is so crucial. It's so important that we understand what has center priority within our lives. The theologian N.T. Wright, if you haven't memorized this quote, this will, that you can use this for the rest of your life to help keep you centered on what is taking priority in your life. He said, you become what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. Those who worship money become eventually human calculating machines. Those who worship sex become obsessed with their own attractiveness or prowess. Those who worship power become more and more ruthless. We become what we worship. So over the last couple of weeks so far, what we've seen is we will worship something. We are all going to worship something. There's not, it is impossible to live a life without worshiping something. You worship something in your life. I worship something in my life. It may be God. It may be something else. You will worship something. And whatever that is, we are going to imitate it. If you want to figure out where we are worshiping or what we are worshiping, just Ask someone to tell you your impression about you, their impression about you. When we look at what a person is becoming, we can tell what they are worshiping. It's an undeniable fact. 
And it's the reason that so much of Scripture is focused around the concept of worship. See, everything falls under this. The gospel is about worship. Pursuing holiness is about worship. Following God's word is about worship. Worship is the central problem that every person has when they enter into this world. Last week, we looked at the fact that the truth is we are going to worship at times desires of the flesh versus the pursuits that God would have us to pursue. That we can be consumed into our worship of God or be consumed by our fleshly desires that never satisfy the deep longings of our soul. Every time we worship something other than that which is capable of sustaining it leads us craving more in an empty pit that we never seem to be able to fill up. There's only one thing, one person whose worship can allow us to be satisfied and full. But anything else, it is just so incredibly manipulative. That when we begin to worship these other things, it just makes us need more. We're never satisfied. we got to keep going farther and we keep getting deeper. There's only one that can satisfy us. And that is our worship of God. So all of this leads to somewhat of a simple question for us. Why does worship within our churches today seem so ineffective? Why do we have so many blogs about it, so many books about it, so many people saying, well, I don't go to church or that church or this church because I don't like the way they do worship. Why does worship seem so ineffective today? And while I think there are lots of reasons, at the very end, we have to look at what are those churches focusing on. What are we worshiping when we come here? For some of you, and it's, it's, you know, we do a certain music style and you're on fire and you love it. We do others and we got to wake you up. You know, I'm the exact same way. We all have preferences. But what we have done in many places is we have made worship about a service and we've made it about music. And those are very small pieces of the bigger picture of what worship is. So why does worship seem ineffective? For one, we argue over the wrong things. We argue over style that's not important. We talk about why are people leaving the church and the church somehow has to change to keep people from leaving the church. Yet the gospel was never meant to be something that could only be obtained by those sitting in a seat in a service. The gospel is for anyone who would bend the knee to Christ. But yet we... Talk about whose fault it is that people are leaving the church. Ultimately, for people leaving the church, the responsibility lies with them. Not with a worship style or a preaching style or the people that sit in the chairs around them. We all must take responsibility for ourselves. Otherwise, we fall into this trap of never being satisfied. The truth for me, the answer is simple. The reason we have so much ineffective worship in churches is because we have a worship problem. 
So what we've tried to do throughout this series is we've tried to begin to illuminate worship on a bigger scale, a bigger picture. Begin to look back at kind of how God is working in the world around us so that we begin to understand it in a deeper, more mature way that many people will never get to. Because for them, the church must revolve around them. Make them feel good about themselves. They're wanted, they're needed. They couldn't sustain themselves without their involvement. It's a worship problem. So if we've looked so far at the fact that you will imitate what you worship, and that there is going to be worship of God that satisfies, or worship of other things that makes us crave until we're about to go crazy, The thing I want to share with you today is that when your worship is God-centered, it will transform you. This is the truth about worship that is missed by so many. That once our worship is centered in the place it's supposed to be, we begin to be changed in a way that we want to be changed. We begin to be transformed in a way that brings health and wholeness. It leads us to live life with eyes looking for what is good, not what is bad. It leads us to an opportunity to grow and to know that God is real and active in us. So we have purpose within our lives. True worship transforms us. False worship keeps us stuck where we never wanted to be. So here's what we're going to look at over these next few minutes. Luke verses seven, we're going to begin with verse 36. And I want to give you just a picture of what it looks like to be transformed by an object of worship that can sustain it. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house. He reclined at the table and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, like When I read that, I think, so who are the women that weren't? Do you ever read stuff like that? And the men too? Like she's a sinner. Okay, well, that's a person. Why do we need that designation? They all are sinners. But the point being, this is a person that would not be considered as a role model for worship. But so here is this sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This is a woman who was being transformed by the object of her worship. Now, how is she being transformed? Well, for one, she goes to great cost in order to demonstrate that Jesus was of great value in her life. She was willing to sacrifice greatly for that. She also was fine to be act in an embarrassing way amongst others in the house. Can you imagine the jeer on the Pharisee's face as he looked at her in disdain? And yet that did not dissuade her from continuing in this worship. Because what you will learn when God becomes the center of your worship is that you really could care less what anybody thinks because God fills us up that much. And yet many of us are scared to death for someone to see us worship authentically. I want to raise my hand. You don't have to raise your hand. But do you hold it back? You're afraid that somebody's going to say, are you afraid to sing songs of joy to him on your commute to work? Because somebody might see you doing that in the car next to you. 
Now, I recognize that we are very much a, pe- a people in this room, many who are very introverted. And you, embarrassment for you is like a laser shot through the heart. <laughs> I'm, not re- I'm not really talking about what our personalities are like. What I'm saying is, can we be consumed by worship for, to something that brings us wholeness? Do we need to go out and buy a bunch of perfume and break it on the statue of Jesus and to demonstrate our worship? No, the point was not what she did. It was the heart by which she did it. And she didn't care what anybody else said about her when she did it because that is what true worship brings. I don't care what else is going on because the object of my worship is true. I will tell you all the other things that we can worship within life will never bring you that transformation. It will never make you feel whole, full, and like God is walking with you. It will always leave you feeling empty. You've got to do more. You've got to invest more. You've got to try harder. Yet worship of God never leads you down that road. The the truth is that in a world that seeks to worship everything but God, to convince us that God doesn't matter, Convince us that those who follow Jesus and the teachings of Jesus are crazy. The truth is that God is not some inert being who is easily overlooked. He is not someone that we can just ignore. He's not someone who in the world just orchestrates these events to happen in such a way that no one really notices that he's there. See, there's never been a person who truly believed that God didn't exist. There are only people who take all the the acknowledgments that he does exist that are able to push them to the side because in every one of us is a deep longing built into us to be reunited with our creator. It's there. The scripture tells us, and many of us have experienced, that even just in the midst of nature, you can see his creative hand. And while you may not understand the war that went on in heaven, and you may not understand all that Jesus did on the cross. You may not know the story of Jesus walking through the desert, yet you cannot see the created things and go, there is no God. You must talk yourself into that. The way we do that is we take that worship and we give it somewhere else. We substitute it for something that really doesn't matter. When we look at God's role in this world, what we see are people that love him and people that hate him. It's so hard to look at the world today and miss the fact that people will war over him. They will fight over him. They will say, our version of God is worth killing you over. People will blame him for bad things that happen in the world. God cannot be overlooked. And what we've seen in these last few days is that people will also die because of him. Have you watched the news? When we look at these events that are happening in the Middle East and in Europe, Things, promises of bad things happening in the United States. How can we overlook the 21 Egyptian Christians? 
who were tortured to recant their faith, who said they would not. I think about the, re- the things that I've read this week in the midst of the snow days is the persecution that God's people in America have gone through as Starbucks across the city were closed. Our cars wouldn't start and gas is going up. And yet a person with a knife to their throat says there's nothing greater than Jesus. God is not someone who can be easily overlooked. We can convince ourselves he doesn't matter. But God can't be overlooked. Some of the posts that have been circulating, I grabbed onto some of those as well. Some of you may have read these. Some of the things that have not been reported, have you read this stuff? Number one, all of these men were in their early to mid-twenties. We sometimes could say, well, if it was someone elderly, lived a long life, no big deal, right? They were at the end of their life anyways. That these young men with families, friends, they were willing to give their lives. They were Egyptian Christians living or at least working in Libya. Looking for jobs because they were poor, not rich. The world says you need to ignore God because only rich people worship God. It is such a lie. It is such a lie. We also know that in the days and weeks leading up to these events, that their captors tortured them and did everything they could to get them to recant their faith. Would they have kept their, their word? Probably not. They don't tend to keep their word. And yet these men stayed strong. And what's also not reported is what was coming out of their mouths in the time before their deaths. Singing songs, making statements of faith, and many in their last dying breath crying out with the name of Jesus. You can't have a God who has created all things and given his son so that he can redeem a world that has been ravaged by sin who can be overlooked. It can't happen. And while I'm thankful that I have never been in a situation on a beach like these men, and I hope that I never will, I'm amazed at their faith. I'm amazed at their faith. You know what I'm not amazed at? I'm not amazed at the fact that the media does not want to talk about their faith. I'm not amazed at the fact that a group of people would have so much evil in their hearts and attribute it to their religion that they would do such horrendous things. What I'm not amazed at is that there's been more press based on Saturday Night Live and Fifty Shades of Grey than these 21 men who gave their lives based on their faith. I'm not amazed at that. Not amazed that I flipped on my TV. We had the, we never watch network TV because we just don't. But I was showing someone our HD antenna so we can get free TV and 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 Entertainment Tonight or Inside I don't know one of those things, shows came on. It's glee, glee on their voice saying how Fifty Shades of Grey had knocked off all these box office records and how many people in the Bible Belt had gone to see this movie with glee in their voice. Even those that don't know Christ know that Christians don't belong in places like that. And it is with glee that they say, look where they are. So it continues to put their mind in a place of worship other than God. They feel that they 
very well are justified in their worship of anything else. Because look at God's people. They don't live by what they say they profess. It's a worship problem. Now, what's easy to happen in pulpits across America is for a person to stand up, talk about all the bad things that people do all over the world, right? For us to talk about what are the worship problems of other people. But the reality is, just like this woman who broke this bottle, she is but one sinner of many, just as every other person who shares a pulpit in the world. We are all in the same boat. We all struggle with different things that we worship. But the question is, will we worship that which can transform us? Or will we worship something else? I want to take you to the Old Testament. I want to show you four things that happen in truly transformational worship. Isaiah chapter 6. I want to show you the story of Isaiah and you will see a progression of what happens when true worship becomes a part of your life. While you're turning there, a couple of other things. Number one, true worship cannot be summed up in a song, a sermon, or a feeling. So what happens here, you can worship in a service, but that does not sum up what worship is. Also, true worship is transformational on a soul level that includes your unique experiences. And what do I mean by that? See, all of you have been through some kind of life history. Some of you went through a great childhood. Some of you went through a very difficult childhood. Some of you have enjoyed your adult life. Some of you are still trying to get to the place that you do enjoy your adult life. We all have unique experiences within life. Worship is not dependent upon your unique experiences, which means if you believe you're a failure in the eyes of God, that will not affect your ability to worship any more than a person who has tried to follow Scripture to the letter every moment of their lives. Worship is not built on having a life environment that is better than somebody else's. Worship is simply a heart that says, I need Jesus. That's what it is. And he is worthy. He is worthy of my praise. He is worthy of my adoration. That's the opportunity we have to be transformed. I'm going to go through Isaiah 6 kind of quickly. I don't think we have to spend a whole lot of time here. I think it's pretty evident what's happening to Isaiah. But if we look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it's the English Standard Version. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. I've never had a vision like that. I think if I did, I'd probably get freaked out a little bit. Isaiah had this vision. The truth is, true worship includes encountering the holy You don't have to have a vision like this to encounter the holy. You just have to be in the presence of God. Some of you can be in the presence of God on your way to work, at home when you're with your family or by yourself. You can encounter God whenever you're at work. 
You can encounter God when you're in a worship service. You can encounter God with a conversation with one other person. You can encounter God in many different ways because God cannot be limited to one place. That was the significance of the ripped veil when Jesus was crucified, that God was now everywhere in the world and wasn't contained to one location. When you used to have to go to the temple in order to worship. You used to have to go to the Holy of Holies to know where God was. Now God exists everywhere. He exists in our hearts. He exists around us, through us, and in us. But true worship begins by encountering the holy. Verse 5 goes on and it says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I would say that for many people that are trying so desperately to be filled with worship that is transformational, the reason that they are not is because they've never moved beyond an experience with the holy. Because true worship also includes confronting the self. People don't like confronting the self. People don't like confrontation, period. It's a lot more fun to prepare series and sermons and to preach on things that feel good and are happy and are fun and we can laugh. But there are things in this world that laughter is not the appropriate emotion. And the truth is when we confront ourselves, there is no laughter. There is mourning. We've been talking with some of our leaders. We've been talking about the role of accountability in the church, the role of accountability outside the church, the role of what do we do when we see somebody on a destructive path, and yet the world continues to say, don't judge me. And the world is absolutely right. And yet in the few weeks, we're going to spend some time talking about the biblical mandate that we judge each other within the church. We judge each other. One of the reasons we put the elders together was because we knew as a staff, and I knew as a lead pastor, I needed to be judged by people who would judge me rightly. To act as if that is untrue would mean I was better than anyone who ever walked the world save Jesus. We all need to be judged by those who truly care about us. But when we confront the self, just as in Isaiah, it always brings mourning because we see our weaknesses, we see our failures, we see our hurts, and we see our pain. And we try whatever we can to stay away from that. True worship means we have to confront ourselves. Now, here's one way that within our world today, we have made a very risky and we've made a very destructive choice. To say that we no longer need to confront ourselves. God's grace says, myself is enough just as it is. No need to confront me. And yet, if we do that, we remove repentance from the equation of the gospel. We say repentance is no longer necessary. Just be yourself. God saved you just as you are. And while there is some misguided truth in that. God has given us his word and he has given us behaviors to strive for because he knows that our deepest issue is a worship problem. Now, I want you to follow me through this. Our biggest problem in life is a worship problem. 
Whenever I get ourselves in financial problems, it's generally been a worship problem. I've worshiped the wrong thing. I've gone after something I shouldn't have. Financially, we get messed up over it, right? That's a worship problem. When I try to become popular in the eyes of somebody, you know, for church planters, you know, church planters are just as bad as middle schoolers when it comes to this. Do you know that? Because there's a whole network out there and there's the cool planners and there's the cool pastors and there's the not cool people. Guess who you got? Cool one, thank you. It's a lie, but we appreciate it. And so there are many times that whenever I feel the need to be acceptable to somebody other than Christ, I will begin to change the way I act, change the way I talk, change the way I appear so that they will think that I'm one of them. And I'm telling you, I don't care if you're in middle school, high school, college, adult, or you're a pastor, that leads you to a worship problem because you have begun to worship your perception other than your God. We all struggle with worship problems. God instructs us to act in ways that counter the false idols in our lives. If anyone's ever told you, you don't have to do what scripture says, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because it gets you stuck whenever you don't follow the teachings of scripture. You're stuck. You're done. You will not make forward progress. Here's some examples. There's so many. And by the way, here's what we tend to do when we, when we start talking about the lies we tell ourselves. We move into a level of self-righteousness that begins to say, I see your problem, therefore I don't have to worry about my own. You know what I'm saying? See, I see what your deal is. And since you've got that deal, my deal is not near as bad as yours because, well, mine's never as bad as anybody else's. And so I move into a level of self-righteousness that gets me stuck But when we look at God's word and we say, clearly, we are moving against what God's word teaches. We have to begin to confront ourselves in that moment because you can't move forward in true worship until you've confronted ourselves and ourselves want to worship ourselves. Nothing else, nothing more. One of the reasons that scripture talks about serving others instead of expecting others to serve us is to combat the idol of self. There are so many times I don't want to serve. How many times that there's a need that comes up? I don't want to do it. I'm busy. I'm tired. I got other things I want to do. And, and that's one of the reasons we push service here so much is not just because, hey, we've got, a, we've got a show to run. But because service is part of worship. And serving combats the idol of self, the greatest idol you'll ever face in your life. Some of us aren't even aware when we're bowing to that idol either. It's become so normal for us. But we serve others instead of expecting others to serve us to combat the idol of self. We're so blessed to have people who willingly give of themselves to serve. One of the reasons that I'm not a fan at all of having a person attend a church that never serves is because, for one, you'll be stuck. If you don't ever serve others, you'll be stuck. You don't have to serve them here. You can serve people anywhere. But the actual act of saying, your needs over my needs, that helps you combat the idol of self. We repent to combat the idol of self-righteousness. 
Repentance is not just, oh, I got to say how bad I am so I can go to heaven. Repentance is saying, I will no longer worship myself. I will no longer rely on my own righteousness. My righteousness is like filthy rags. And so true worship must fight the idol of self-righteousness. We tithe and we give. And so many people don't tithe or give anymore because, you know, that's just so the church can go buy stuff. And yet we tithe and we give because that battles the idol of greed. Do you think God really needs our money? Well, it's not our money. Do you think he really needs that? I mean, he flooded the world when he wanted to make his point known, right? Do you think he really needs my check to make his point known? We don't give because God can't function without it. We give because it battles the idol of greed. And we in America, that is one of our idols. And the truth is, we can, again, take the route of self-righteousness and look at somebody who has very much and go, well, I don't have what they have, so I can focus on me and my little bit of greed. Because they have so much more. Because that's what we do. Point on other people's problems rather than focus on our own. We sacrifice, and I look at these 21 men. We sacrifice personally to combat the idol of pleasure. Told you that's one of my idols is pleasure. I like to keep my taste buds happy. It's one of my idols. I I don't always do a good job of keeping in check, and lately not been doing such a great job at all. Different idols. We sacrifice. We say no to ourselves. So that we don't stay focused on, I want to be, I want to feel pleasure all the time. All the time. We dress conservatively. We act with purity to combat the idol of sex. Because in America, that is one of our top idols is sex. And we say, well, we should talk more about it in the church. Well, we should, but we should also spend more of the time with just our spouse in our bedrooms. Not with other people on phones. Not with other people on computers. These are idols that lead you to crave and need more, and they never satisfy. And we wonder why so many people never work, truly worship, because we worship the wrong things. Another one, and I just, I, I, I struggle with this one. It's working hard. I'm a believer that Scripture says you should work hard. If it kills you, that's honorable. Scripture says... You should be worth your labor. You should work hard. Now, some of you are smarter than me, and you can work smarter than me, and you can get more done with less effort. Go for it. You don't have to kill yourself doing it in a terrible way just to say, look how much I had to work on this. If you're smarter and you can make it work, go for it. But we work hard to combat the idol of laziness. And yet we look at our nation and we wonder why so many people are in the depths of despair because we've enabled them to not have to work hard. We work hard. I walk in, I get, I get frustrated when I walk into minimum wage jobs, you know, people have minimum wage jobs and they're so angry that they don't make enough. And yet I got to wait for them to get off their cell phone. That makes me so mad because, you know what, I remember when I was a minimum wage worker. Sometimes I'm still a minimum wage worker when I add up my hours. But 
You know, the gone were the times when we brought a cell phone into work. We were fired. You remember that? Y'all remember that? You young guys, you don't remember that stuff because now it's just normal. Just got to wait. You know, people are busy doing other things. I'm gonna let me, let me finish this conversation. And I'll take your order. There was a time you get fired for that. Now I could go on a rant, and like we like to do on Facebook. The point is not whether or not this person inconvenienced me. As followers of Jesus, we should demonstrate a hard work ethic because that is what God has instructed us to do. And some of you are thinking, "Man, but the people I work with." The people I work with, I I work twice as hard as them and they make more money than me. Why would I be motivated to work hard? Because we want our worship to be in the right place. See, there are so many of these. These are just a few. And And for some of you who get frustrated with me talking about me getting frustrated, listen, I got my own issues. I'm just sitting here pointing out the problem we all share. But I'm telling you, if you don't confront these things, it will never change. If I don't confront these things in my life, I will never change. If you don't confront these things and you don't help those who say they're followers of Jesus to confront these things, you'll never be transformed in true worship because most of us have a worship problem. God calls us to a higher standard of living so we can experience, I'm sorry, (laughs) standard for living. That's a big mess up. It's a big difference. Right? It's a big difference. God calls us to a higher standard for living so we can experience true worship. And if you look back through the Old Testament, you will find how many people were endeared to their captors in the Old Testament scriptures based on their work ethic. People looked at them and go, those people are amazing. They gave, that's, what, that's how Joseph got his high-ranking job. He's amazing how hard he works. He organizes this kingdom better than anybody else. Let's put him in charge of half of it. It's amazing how many people came to know Christ watching other people living at a higher standard for living. Standard for living. Not standard of living. That's where some God is called some. But a higher standard for living. People go, that's amazing. That breaks the mold. Why would they do that? It's a worship issue. All right. Have I, have I beat that horse till it's dead? All right. True worship includes encountering the holy. True worship includes confronting the self. Isaiah 6 verse 6 says, Then, after Isaiah has confronted himself, look at my how lost I am. Look at how wretched I am. Look at by myself how unrighteous I am. He goes on in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Because true worship transforms the heart. And in that moment when we confront the self, God says, You are forgiven. Though it was not a burning coal that touched our lips. It was Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave that said, you are transformed because you confronted yourself and you have put worship where it needs to be and your guilt is gone. What a wonderful, wonderful part of true worship. See, there are some believe that you can't truly worship unless you leave feeling like the biggest jerk that ever walked the planet. Man, I feel really bad. It's been a great worship service. And yet true worship leads you to the place of freedom. 
of grace, of forgiveness, restoration. Whoop, time's up. I apparently didn't have it muted. I'm almost done. True worship transformed the heart. Here, here's, here's what we get mixed up. We don't worship once we are transformed. We are transformed only after we truly worship. See, a lot of people think, I've got to get my life together. They say this all the time. I can't go to church until I get my life together. I can't really worship God until I've been transformed. But the truth is, you can't truly worship until you've been transformed. So be transformed first. And then worship. And so for many of us, we've tried our hardest to do all the right things and be, be all the right things to everyone and never mess up. And so that way we are, have earned the right to truly worship God and I will tell you that in my life, if I truly look at where I've been and where I am and where I know I will go, I, I just, I've got to worship him first. There are times I've got to come and confront myself before him. I have an experience with the holy and I've got to confront myself in the way that I've been focused and living my life and the things that I've made as my idols in my life. I have to confront those things and I have to worship to put him at the center. I have to begin to worship and then be transformed. Verse 8 says this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Now here is the little known fact about worship. Because within our context, we live in a consumer driven society. We all know that. There are things that drive me in a consumer way that I'm blind to. I don't even realize how much consumerism drives me because that's what I've lived my entire life. Maybe if I move to some poverty-stricken place in the world and I live there for a significant period of time, I could fight these consumer drives that are, some, are still a part of me. But for many of us, we miss one of the most crucial parts of worship because consumerism has taken over our understanding of God. We've begun to believe that worship is for us. But worship is for him. See, when we make worship about us, then we become our object of worship, not him. And that leads us to that place where we continue to crave more. We need more and we're never full and we just feel more empty. That's, that's the truth. But I want you to, to, to hear this. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Because this taps into the missional nature of God. Where true worship always has a component of mission to it. If you are going to put God at the center, he's going to send you out into the world in some manner. True worship always leads to mission. Always leads to mission. Always leads to helping someone, investing in someone, being there for someone, doing something for the gospel, demonstrating what it means to follow his word, letting other people know how loved they are. There is always a missional component, which means we have to go back to stepping out of our, outside of ourselves and we have to go back to work for others. It's one of the things we miss in the American church today. That worship is not about us. It's not about the feeling I get. It's what I give because he is worthy. Now, what may seem 
somewhat hypocritical in what I have said is there is truth that embedded in each one of us is the deep longing of the soul yearning to be one and united with God. And so you can't help but when you truly worship to be truly filled up. But if that's your goal, what am I going to get out of it this time? Then you've missed the object of true worship. True worship includes responding to the mission of God. Always. Always. Our lives will mimic what we worship. So my question to you is, where is worship taking you? Wholeness, fullness, being satisfied, continually empty and craving. Are you growing more deeply satisfied in your soul or more empty? Do you have a deep, do you have a prolonged sense of purpose? Or do you feel like your life doesn't matter? What is your mission in life? See, when we worship that which we were created to worship, three things will happen. We satisfy the deep longings of our soul. We become more like Jesus because we become like that thing that we worship. We live a life of sustained purpose and wholeness on mission with God. True worship transforms the heart. My prayer for my family, for myself, my prayer for you, that we will experience true worship. You may experience here. You may experience it 10 minutes after you leave here. You may experience it on a Tuesday or a Thursday, the worst day of the week. You may experience true worship. You may experience worship in the moment when you think you're about to wring somebody's neck in front of you. And you're about to take them out and ask forgiveness. And then you can be confronted with the holy. I can't tell you how many times I do that. I think the, I, I think the life of a person following Christ is a constant dance between getting, you know, needing to experience God and then having to confront myself. God, I'm going to kill them. I mean, they're dead. And I'm glad that um, you have grace. <laughs> and then I come back to Mark, you are such a jerk. And that confronting of myself helps put God back in the place of true worship. We're going to always confront ourselves. Confronting ourselves is always going to be uneasy because there's also not just a deep longing of our soul to be united with God. There's this deep sinful nature within us that says, make yourself the center of everything. My question I want to leave you with, knowing that everybody's in a different place, Knowing that you're struggling with maybe some of the same things I am. Maybe you're struggling with something completely different from me. We all have our solution in the same place. But my question for you is, are you ready to truly worship? And I'm telling you, if you're looking for a life of wholeness, this is where it begins. If you want to understand the gospel, this is where it begins. And if you want to move out of this craving that keeps you hungering and never satisfied, it begins with worship. Are we ready to truly worship? Pray with me. Father, God, this, this is the most difficult task for 
any of us. It's something that we've struggled with for all history. It's something we will struggle with until you return. God, I pray that for those in this room, they have been hungering for an object of worship that doesn't disappoint. God, help us keep our eyes fixed on you. For those whose eyes are fixed on somebody else right now, they want to be that person. They want to act like that person. They want to be perceived like that person. Help them to shift their attention back to you. Father, for that person that's in this room today and right now, all they can think about is that next thing to bring them pleasure. God, I pray that you will help them to shift their worship to something that doesn't keep them craving. Father, I pray in our lives when we are so tempted to just ignore all of your teachings and to ignore all of the wisdom contained in a life following you and we choose to just be self-righteous in our own eyes and we ignore it all because we know of somebody who claims to be a Christian who has done it poorly. Help us to keep our eyes on you as our object of worship and not ourselves. Father, something that we are all going to struggle with and you know it we need your spirit to invade us we need you to influence us we need your power to overcome this world so let your spirit come let your power come so that when we worship you we can worship in spirit and in truth because you're our god you're our creator you're our sustainer you're our savior it's in jesus name that we pray amen